Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Join me as we pray together. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Seeing the brokenness of mankind, the sin that held us in bondage, you desired a relationship with us, and you loved us with an everlasting love, a sacrificial love, And so you sent your only son, Jesus, to live and then to go to a cross and to die in our place, bearing our sins, so that on the third day he would rise again and live today and offer to every person without exception the free gift of his salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and a new and eternal life. You tell us in your word that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation that bends the knee before you and recognizes that there is no other authority under heaven or on earth except your authority that is worthy to be worshipped. And under your authority, we must bring our lives in complete surrender. Lord, today as we gather here, we thank you for Jesus. But our hearts are broken for what we see happening in the world around us. First in our minds and our hearts is to pray for the grieving families of Uvalde, Texas, and to pray that the hope of Jesus would fill their hearts and their homes. We pray, Father, that you would also comfort the teachers and the administrators of Rob Elementary School. We pray for wisdom, direction, and comfort for the pastors and church families who even this day are gathered and trying to figure out how they will do the good work of caring for the families that they have journeyed with and loved. We pray for the emotional healing of the men and women called to be police officers, firefighters, EMS, in the town of Uvald and the surrounding communities. We pray for their comfort and their healing as well. And we pray for our grieving nation. We ask, Father, that you would bring about an awakening to the reality of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior and Lord, and that you would revive our churches, that our churches would be places of healing, that our nation would be a place of unity, of love and care and compassion, one for the other. We recognize that the light that we need is the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Lord, we lift you all before you, and I pray that you would show us as a congregation if there are ways you want us to be involved. I don't know what that would look like, Jesus, but we want to be available to you if there is some way that we can help alleviate some of the pain, some of the, the challenges. Lord, we are here. Use us by prayer or other means. Lord, also on this Memorial Day weekend, we want to remember with gratitude the freedom that we have as a nation, the freedom to come to this place and worship you. Father, we cherish that freedom, and we recognize that it was bought at a cost. 
So we remember today the men and women who gave their lives in the United States Armed Forces so that we might have those freedoms and live them out day by day. We pray for their families, some who have long been grieving, others who are just now grieving. We pray that you would be their comfort, their strength, and their help, Lord. We thank you that we know that your hand is a hand of providential care. And so we pray for those who are in active duty now, that you would watch over and care for those men and women in every branch of the services, and that you would meet their needs, primary among them, their spiritual need of knowing and following you, Jesus, but protecting them and caring for them here in the United States or abroad. And Lord, we thank you that coming home to this place, we can gather here to worship you today. And as we open your word now, and as Pastor Paul comes to preach, may our minds and our hearts be receptive to what you have to teach us. May your word, spoken by you, Jesus, come alive in our hearts and lives. And we pray this together in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Today, I invite you to open the scriptures or turn in your goat and your devices to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. We ended our sermon series on eternity last week. We're beginning a summer-long sermon series next weekend in the book of James, Making Faith Work. And we invite you to dig into James from June, July, and August. I'm looking forward to preaching James 1, 1 through 12 next week in these services. But today we decided, and this was decided I think eight or nine months ago, that we would set aside today to exposit another hard saying of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. And you'll understand it. And there's a very special reason that we want to share that, and you'll see that as well as this service unfolds further. I invite you to hear the word of God in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you very much, Pastor Mike, for reading the Word of God this morning and for your prayers. In 1994, Christopher Burns, an Associated Press writer, wrote an article called War's Lethal Leftovers. And in the article, he says this, the bombs of World War II are still killing in Europe. This is in 1994. They turn up and sometimes they blow up at construction sites, in fishing nets, or on beaches 50 years after the guns fell silent. Burns goes on to say, hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. Further on in that article, War's Lethal Leftovers, Burns describes how in 1993, 13 World War II bombs exploded, killing 12 people and wounding 11. You see, what happens is that when the bombs were dropped, many of them were buried beneath mounds and mounds of earth, 
And over years and years, the metals corroded inside and the weapon becomes unstable until finally it explodes. I want you to hear this this morning. What is true of lingering bombs is also true of lingering anger. What is true of lingering bombs is also true of lingering anger. Buried anger will explode when we least expect it. In Matthew chapter 5, I think Jesus is telling us to do one thing. I think he's saying to us, forfeit your fury. Say that with me this morning. Forfeit your fury. You see, as human beings, we get angry. It's what we do sometimes. It's an emotion God has given us. And I think what Jesus is telling us to do when we get angry is to learn to give it up, to forfeit it, to forego it. But sadly, we live in a world, and let's just be honest about this, friends. We live in a world that struggles to forfeit our anger, particularly towards people that we've already labeled as enemies. We live in a world that likes to kill our enemies instead of let them off the hook. Jesus would rather us kill them with kindness, but we would rather bless them on social media. Instead of blessing them, we'd rather see them become bankrupt, humiliated, and canceled by our current culture. And I don't know if you've ever stopped and kind of taken a step back to think, how did we get here? How did we get here where the mindset is that To hate an enemy is acceptable. It seems natural, doesn't it? Was it part of us from when we were born as sinners? Or have we been nurtured into hating our enemies? You know, many people have thought about this. And some have suggested that actually it's as a result of our post-World War II mindset. See, after World War II in the 1940s and further, there was this philosophy that came about called existential philosophy. Don't get hung up on the big words. Existentialism is pretty simple. It just simply means that man is nothing else but what he makes for himself. If you want to be something in this world, make it for yourself. If you want something, go and take it. And if anybody dares get in your way, then they're an enemy. Push them aside existential mindset and philosophy says things and thinks things like you look out for yourself and nobody else. It'll think in a fight, you better get them before they get you and if they hurt you, you best hurt them twice as bad. But let's just not be silly. This idea to hate our enemies has been here a lot longer than 1940, isn't it? Even Jesus says this, actually, in Matthew chapter 5, that even before he was born, that mindset was already there. Look at verse 43 and following. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They've already heard it. It's already been taught. It's something that has become standard in their culture. Wise words to an angry world. Love your neighbor Hate your enemy. Love your neighbor. 
and hate your enemy. And why were they so wise? Well, you see, in the first century, what they did was they created classes of people. Okay? And what that happened was, here, this, this crowd, this class of people, those are your neighbors, and you can love them. These people, though, we don't like them. And so you hate them. And when you divide classes, what that ultimately does is it dignifies hate. It gives you an excuse for hate. And that's exactly what they were doing in the first century. Howard Hendricks, pastor and author, says this about that culture, and probably about ours today. In such an atmosphere, it was impossible for hate to starve. It was impossible for hatred to starve. It had plenty to feed on. It had plenty to feed on. And yet, when you get to Jesus, he completely disagrees with our philosophies and our attitudes. He throws that concept of love your neighbor, hate your enemy out the window. He says, let me give you a transforming truth, a new command. How about this one? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, I... I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this, I really struggle. And when I read a passage like this, I try to weasel my way out of it. Love your enemies? What does that mean? What does that even look like? Is it even reasonable or rational, let alone, I mean, it's going to have to be spiritual because there's no way that I can get to this point. And I've got questions, Jesus. What do you mean by the word enemy? Who is my enemy? You ever thought about that? I mean, maybe at your house tonight, when you go home, you already know that you have a list on your refrigerator of names of people that you've already identified as enemies, and it hangs there. I don't know. Who is your enemy? Jesus actually gives us three Three examples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48 of who an enemy could be. He tells us actually in verse 44 who the first set of enemy classifications are. He says it with the phrase, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. An enemy, according to Jesus, is someone who persecutes you. And it's not the kind of persecution like... Um, well, Je actually, it'd be more like Jen. If Jen walked up here, it's Jeff's wife, and punched me in the face, I would go down, okay? If Jeff did it, probably not. I could hold my own. <laughs> but if Jen did it, I could. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. The persecution that Jesus is talking about here is a systematically organized program to oppress people and harass them. You see, it's systematic. It's what the apostles describe in Acts chapter 8. It's what the prophets faced long before Jesus was born in a manger, this systematic oppression. In a number of languages, the equivalent to say someone is being persecuted is to say that they are systematically suffering. And if there was one group of people who had perfected systematic oppression and harassment, it was certainly the Romans. The Romans who would look at different classes of people and they would place upon them burdensome taxes. 
In their villages, in their towns, in their cities, the Romans would place armed forces who would often beat and steal and rob from people, taking what they wanted and at times even taking just because they could. And they did it time and time and time and time again, and there was a system in place for this. And as a result, it left many of the Jews feeling jaded and the Christians cynical, particularly towards the Romans. And Jesus stands up in the midst of this crowd and he says, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. I don't know if you know this today, Fox and CNN aren't going to tell you this, MSNBC is not going to tell you this, but around the world right now, the persecuted church is one in eight Christians are being persecuted right now. That's over 300 million Christians around the world. Voice of the Martyrs, Forbes magazine just did an article on it. That's a lot of people. And for many of us, we live our lives completely ignoring the fact that there are loads and loads of Christians around the world who are facing similar persecution to what they faced in the first century. And yet even us here in Willow Street, do we not face a kind of systematic suffering? Maybe not what they faced in the first century or what the persecuted church is facing around the world, that heavy-handed persecution, but there is a systematic suffering, particularly when you go into your schools or your workplace or you go into the community marketplace and you suggest to them that we should live by Christian morals and values. And that's laughed at and scoffed at. It's seen as wimpy and weak and foolish. Jesus isn't done, though. You see, an enemy is someone who persecutes you, but an enemy is also someone who you would, I would consider as just pure evil and unjust. It's what Jesus actually describes in verse 45 when he says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. There is a group of evil and unjust people who ignore God and they ignore his word. They resist him and they resist his word. And so when Jesus would introduce the idea of being kind, in their mind, they would say, well, kindness has kind of lost its appeal. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to love? You know, I don't know about you if you're feeling uncomfortable with what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 5, but I've been feeling very uncomfortable this week particularly with what is happening around our world, for Jesus then to tell me that my identity as a child of God is to love an enemy, particularly one that is evil and unjust. That's hard. But Jesus is not done. You see, the last category of enemy that Jesus gives in verses 46 and 47 are simply just those who don't love you. They don't love you back. Yeah, an enemy is someone who persecutes you. An enemy is someone that you would classify as evil and unjust. 
An enemy is also someone who just simply doesn't love you back. See, the problem with the word enemy that Jesus chooses to use here, he could have chosen many words, he chooses this particular word, is that it's such a general word. Jesus goes from heavy-handed suffering all the way to the general interactions that we have with human beings where they don't return the same love, the same kindness that I'm showing them. And Jesus says, listen, your responsibility is to love. And the problem is there's really no wiggle room out of this. There's no really way to get out of it. There's, I mean, you can slip and slide, but the scriptures are the scriptures. And Jesus simply calls his children to love their enemies. From the heavy-handed all the way to the just daily interaction. So then maybe I thought, well, maybe I'll get out of this because I can maybe wiggle my way out of this word love. You know, because love, I mean, you can just make it whatever you want, right? How, how, how does Jesus define love? What is this love that we're supposed to experience extend to an enemy. How many of you read the Recharge Devotional or you get the Recharge Devotional? If you don't, you can sign up for this in our bulletins or online. Our Recharge Devotional is written by people of Grace Community Church. It comes out um, through email to you and it is outstanding. And this week, out of all many weeks, I just needed a, uh, a laugh and I needed some clarity on some things. And I thank God because Jackie Stoner wrote a recharge devotional that was just outstanding. And in it, she tells a story about her friend, Joni. Her friend, it sparked my attention because her friend Joni is from New Jersey and she drives a Mr. Softy truck, which everyone loves, Mr. Softy. And this is what she says. She says, my favorite Joni story is the time she was stopped uh, by a large crowd. A rough looking group of guys lined up for ice cream. Now, Jackie had also said that this Mr. Softy truck that Joni drove, her route was in a really rough neighborhood in New Jersey, which my cynical mind said, well, that's every neighborhood, but <laughs> I digress. My wife is from New Jersey, so only a few people clapped. We'll move on. Since they seem, this is what Joni experienced, since they seem to have matching tattoos. Joni assumed that they were all part of the same gang. And after they got their ice cream, the guys stood aside as their leader came to the forefront and asked how much their bill was. Joni, all alone in her truck, gave a broad smile and piped up how much he owed. The guy looked at her in the eye and demanded, well, who's gonna make me pay? Joni paused. And in her toughest Jersey voice, she said, well, I'm a member of a gang. <laughs> the leader loudly asked, what gang? Joni paused and yelled, the GSA. The men asked, what's the GSA? Joni said, the Girl Scouts of America. At that, the gang started laughing so hard that they almost lost their sprinkles. <laughs> their leader not only paid the bill, but added a generous tip. We've been called to love our enemies. 
We've been called to love our enemies. And in the words of St. Augustine, reflecting on what Jesus says here about love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he would write this. To love those who love you is human. To hate those who love you is demonic. And to love those who hate you is divine. To love those who hate you is divine. Love, love in the original language is that word agape that Jesus uses. The New Testament writers would take that word almost from the Greeks and steal it from them and give it a new identity. They would say agape love is divine and it's sacrificial. It's when you have a sincere appreciation for the other person. No matter who they are and what they've done, it's not rooted in a feeling or an emotion. You see, if this was about feelings and about emotions, then what Jesus is asking us to do would be completely ridiculous. But what Jesus is asking us to do is something that truly is divine. It is something that is sacrificial. It is simply this. To love your enemy, number one, is to act, is to act before you feel. It's to be kind to someone before your mind can catch up with what you're actually doing, before your mind can convince you otherwise. Now, I want to put a caveat in here. Jesus is never, never, and the people that have used this verse to argue this, it's ridiculous. Jesus is never ascribing that a wife should ever stay years being abused by her husband. That is not what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is saying, you find a way, you find a way to love that person. I want to make sure that's clear. It troubles me that in our society, people will often use scripture to say, yes, you should keep staying in that home and allow him just to do whatever he wants or allow her to do whatever she wants. No, friends, there is a way to love an enemy and not be a punching bag. I want to be clear about that. But a love, a divine and sacrificial love, does act before it feels. You have to think about what Jesus is arguing here. He's saying it's the kind of love that doesn't even label the other person as an enemy. It's the kind of love that simply says this, if I am nice to you, I don't expect you to be nice back. I'm not looking for a response from you. I'm not looking for a response. And it's also the kind of love that doesn't discriminate. It's a love that doesn't it acts before it feels, but it also doesn't discriminate. It doesn't divide people in the classes. It doesn't say, I'll love you and I'll hate you. I'll love you, but I won't love you. It's not that. I appreciate what John Piper, pastor and author, says about what Jesus is arguing here. He says, Jesus doesn't say, I have two commands, one that you love your neighbor and one that you love your enemy. He says, I have one command, love your neighbor, and I mean, even if he is an enemy. You see, what we will often do is say, well, this person's my neighbor, and so I can love this person, but now, Jesus, you're telling me I also have to love your neighbor. No, what Jesus is arguing here is the idea that you love your neighbor, and as you're loving your neighbor, if your neighbor ends up being your enemy, then love them. 
because they're your neighbor. You see, it's one command. It's a transforming truth, a transforming initiative that goes well beyond, let's just be honest, friends, what the logic of the day is. You see, the logic of the day is, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than them? Do not even the pagans do that? Jesus is saying simply as Augustine would say, to love someone who loves you is human, to hate someone who loves you is demonic, but to love someone who hates you is divine. It's divine, because you're not discriminating. As you bump into people, whether they're locally here or they're somewhere far beyond the borders of Lancaster County, they are, in fact, your neighbor. And you are called to love them. And so the question that I have for Jesus is probably the question you're asking yourselves. How do I love my neighbor even if my neighbor is my enemy? Three simple ways that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor even if our neighbor becomes our enemy. Number one, you greet them. I know that sounds difficult, but Jesus is simply asking you to say hi. I know, because I'm a Lancaster Countyan too, that there's been plenty of times where my wife and I have known so-and-so is going to be somewhere, and my wife will say, well, what are you going to say when they show up? And I'll say to her, nothing. I'm not saying hi to them. Well, what are you going to do? I'm just going to stare at them <laughs> so that they know how I feel. That's what we do. And Jesus says, you know how ridiculous that is? Go up and greet them. Here's a concept. Be civil. If you look at verse 47, that's exactly what Jesus is arguing there. But he goes even further than that. In verse 45, Jesus gives us this idea that we're not just to greet them, but we're also to care for them. You're to care for them. Did you notice how Jesus describes how our Heavenly Father deals with the unjust and the evil? He causes the rain to fall on their crops too. If you're a friend of God, the rain will fall on your crops. If you're a foe of God, the rain will fall on your crops. It's almost in a sense like our Heavenly Father cares for his enemies and his friends. And so there's a principle here for us. How do you treat a neighbor even if your neighbor is your enemy? Well, you care for them. It means if your neighbor ends up sick at Lancaster General Hospital, you go visit them. If they're hungry and you have the opportunity to feed them, you feed them. If your neighbor needs clothing, help clothe them. I don't know who told me the story. Someone did years ago. It could have been at this church or another church. Honestly, I can't get it all straight. But someone told me a story. The, the roots of the story stayed in my mind. They said that there was an Amish man and his neighbor was whatever we are, the opposite of Amish, English, I guess. And um, that they lived near each other and the Englishman couldn't stand the Amishman. Matter of fact, when the Amishman or his family would come out of his home, the Englishman would scream and yell at him, curse him, complain all day long about this man. Except for one time, the Englishman ended up at Lancaster General Hospital. And do you know who one of the first visitors were to see this man? It was the Amishman. 
It's a simple principle of, I can care for you. I can visit you. But Jesus says that the greatest act that you and I can perform for an enemy, even if our enemy is our neighbor, is to pray for them. Verse 44 is the profound transforming truth here. I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, Jesus, how in the world do you want me to do that? I mean, you want me to greet the people that, I, that are my enemies. You want me to care for those I don't even like, and you want me to pray for those who persecute me. How do you expect me to do that? He expects us to do that for one simple reason. You are a child of God. Notice what he says here in verse 45. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. And if you're here today, then you know what God did in order to allow you to be a child of God. You know exactly what that meant. Because if you're not a child of God, you're an enemy of God. That's what the scriptures say. It means at one time in your life, you were opposed to God. You didn't like God. You resisted him. And out of his kindness, which leads to repentance, you drew near because God drew near to you. And instead of the Father in heaven dashing and smashing you with all of his wrath and anger, for that's what we deserve as sinners, he poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ so that you can no longer be called an enemy of God, but a child. So the way that you would love your enemy is that you would know how God loves his enemies. He greets them. He calls them to his own. He cares for them. And if you don't think Jesus prays for you, then you don't know Jesus. In a few moments, we're about to watch a video testimony about one of Grace Community Church's own. And the reason why we want to show you this testimony is because we want you to see what it looks like to come into agreement with Jesus Christ and to live that out. Because we know what Jesus says here in Matthew 5 is hard. But we also know that there is hope found in Christ and that God can help you grow to love your enemies. It is possible. Would you please turn your attentions to the screen? So my dad was a really good guy, and, but a lot of people don't know about the bitterness and the, the hatred that he had that was really deep-seated for him. When he was 18 years old, uh, World War II broke out. Pearl Harbor was bombed in 1941. September 1942, when he was 18, my dad enlisted. He was trained to be a searchlight person, so they would basically go out set up searchlights that would shine anywhere from 10 to 20 miles 
and uh, which meant though that they had to wait for areas to get cleared out and stuff before they went in. He ended up um, spending 30 days on a boat heading over to Guadalcanal. Uh, so my dad was heading over to the Philippine area in the South Pacific and he was in Guadalcanal for six months and then he was tr transferred over to Saipan for six more months. And from there he thought he was going to be getting a um, an R&R, rest and relaxation break, leave. And instead, the invasion of the Philippines happened. And so he was, they were shipped over to the Philippines and he arrived at the Philippines on the third day of the invasion. And the way that he got there was they went in on a boat, as he's, the only way my dad can say, we, we arrived in a sardine can that they just dropped the back and you were just fair game for the enemy, basically because he said between you and where the enemy was was nothing but dead American bodies. He knew he couldn't stop and help the ones, and he knew he couldn't stay with the ones that were still alive and were gonna die, that they had to die by themselves. And that was the heartbreaker for him. And for me, it's like these are like 19 and 20 year old kids basically laying on the beach. Ended up getting into a foxhole, and they were heading out to try and clear some place so they could put these searchlights up and they were in a foxhole, and this is when my dad's life did a major change. Um, he was in a foxhole with two guys, and he told them that he was going to uh, go down and reload, and he went down to reload, and while he was down, for like a split second, something fell on him, and it was both of his buddies, they had been shot, and they were killed, and they were on top of him, and for three or four days, he laid in this foxhole, figuring if he pulled them down on top of him, the Japanese couldn't see him, and they would see their blood on him and think he was dead too. So he laid there and waited for the um, American soldiers to come and find him, and thank God that they did. But through all of that, my dad had such a hatred for the Japanese people and if you were Asian of any kind, you got lumped into that hatred. He wanted nothing to do with them. We were never allowed to go to a Chinese restaurant. That was like, no way, we're not going in there. And we can never figure out why he hated them so much. So fast forward a couple years, and we're here at Grace Community Church, and we're gonna get a new pastoral intern. First time ever, we have this, this great guy up at the seminary. He's from Japan, and his name is Yoriyoshi Abe. <laughs> so I told my dad about it, you know. All of my great nephews and nieces fall in love with Yoriyoshi. To the point they're like, can we take Yoriyoshi to lunch someday after church? And you know, my sister's like, sure. And Yoriyoshi was like, yeah, I'll go. And I, and I finally was like, red flag, Yoriyoshi, we need to talk. And so I told him, I said, Yoriyoshi, my dad literally hates Japanese and Asian people. And this is why. And I told him the whole story that I just shared earlier. And Yoriyoshi was just like, it's okay, Denise. He said, they, they saved us from the tyranny of a dictator. He said, my own grandfather didn't want to be in the army, but he was forced to go into the army. And he said, your dad is like an American hero. I went home and I said to my dad, all right, I'm gonna break the news to you slowly. 
Yoriyoshi is going to lunch to us with us on Sunday and he's like what and I'm like yeah he is he goes well I don't know about that. and I go dad let me tell you what Yoriyoshi just told me about you that you're an American hero over in Japan and you think that they hate you as much as you hate them and I said that's not the case and he just never ever ever looked at himself as being an American hero he just left that hatred build up in him so much. I'm like thinking to myself, if you'd have broken those walls down years and years and years ago and met somebody from Japan, you may have known that 50 years ago. Instead, you've been harboring this for 70 years. So we went to lunch with Yoriyoshi, and Yoriyoshi and him sat down, and they talked, and they talked, and they talked, and they talked. And um, the, the most beautiful friendship was formed out of that. And you know, only God can bring a 20, late 20s, early 30-year-old guy from Japan and basically sit him in front of you <laughs> to get it resolved. There was a time in my dad's life where he all but denounced God. And Mike called me, he said, Denise, I have news for you, your dad recommitted his life. And then all this happened with your Yoshi. Man, it's just... <laughs> It just brings the whole, the whole realm of Christianity full circle, you know? And so my piece is that I know when my dad died, he was at, he was at total, total peace with God. When they came back to visit about five years ago, he called me up, he said, Kate Denise, I'd really like to go to your dad's grave. And it was Father's Day. It was the first Father's Day that we had without my dad. And uh, I'm like, Yoriyoshi, there would be no better gift that I could give my dad than to do that. And so he and Emiko went with me, and we put great flowers on my dad's grave. And it's just a beautiful story of the two of them. So at this point, if, you're, if you've got a problem with someone or, or you know someone who's in the same situation, Go and talk to him about it. That's all it took. It just took Yoriyoshi saying to my dad, you're an American hero. You know, it was that simple. Like three little words could have given my dad 70 more years of peace and happiness. So take care of it. Take it to God. Pray about it. And go confront that person and talk to him about it. This morning, we're privileged that some of Bud's family are down here, down front. Thank you guys for sharing that story. It's possible. It's possible to love your enemies. Jesus would say this, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And then he would say in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Don't get hung up on the word perfect there. It's not perfectionism. It is simply the word to mature. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling with loving someone that has come to your mind, know that it is possible for you to mature in Jesus Christ and to love that person. It's possible because your Heavenly Father has made it possible.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. First and foremost, Father, we thank you that you are a loving God and that you reach down through your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to take our sins away so that we could have life. And yet, Father, we also thank you for sending your son to teach us this amazing, transformative truth. Father, we thank you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit now would move amongst us, that as we wrestle and grapple with these words of Jesus to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that, Father, as we leave this place and as we bump into people, that even if we don't feel like it, we would be obedient to your word, to your commands. So we pray that you would help us to live in obedience to the words of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.